Good evening, folks. Pastor Bernard, as most of you probably know that by now. But, uh, it's good to see each of you. Glad you did not get blown away today, but the, wind, the weather, uh, it just looks like it might be spring in the next three or four miles, so hang in there. We'll make it, right? Let's bow for prayer, please. Father, you're gracious. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house again, for the experience of fellowship. But Lord, mainly we come to worship, but when our hearts are right with you, there's such a sweet, sweet spirit in the place and sweet fellowship. ask that you bless tonight. ask that you would use me as an instrument to deliver the message that you would have us to here this evening, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tonight, as we have uh, been moving through this uh, uh, study of theological uh, studies and theology of uh, God and dealing with the triune God, the Trinity, uh, God, then God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're going to speak about this evening is God the Holy Spirit. And um, when we talk about the Spirit of God, uh, I want us to um, keep in mind, as we'll see here, well, let me read what uh, I wrote down here, what R.A. Torrey had to say about this. He said, if we think of the Holy Spirit only as an impersonal in, in power or influence, then our thought will constantly be, how can I get hold of and use the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely tender, then our thought will be constantly be this, how can the Holy Spirit get hold of and use me? And such a, a tendency, and I, I really uh, try to become conscious of it way back, of, of referring to the Holy Spirit not as it. And a lot of times people say it. But in so doing that, we just think of it as some type of a, of a force, you know, coming. But when we see it as, and understand that he is uh, and, and have been called the third member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But sometimes when you use that term, uh, we may think that, well, he's a little less on that. You know, he's not quite up here to par with God the Father, God the Son, and, you know, Holy Spirit when we refer as the third. But we need to understand that all are equal. Uh, they're all God in the sense that, God has manifested himself that way, so keep that in mind, and it's like when you put up three fingers, you know, like that, but if you turn them this way, you know, and you're looking straight on, there's one God, and keep that in mind. So as we look at this, and the, the, the uh, study tonight, of course, is going to be on uh, spirit and power, that's what we're speaking about in our lives, and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and things about and. I trust tonight that there will be something that will be very meaningful to you and uh, something that perhaps will help you and me tonight become even more enlightened to the person of the Holy Spirit. In the book of John, and we'll be turning places or I'll be reading and so on there, but in the, in the Gospel of John, in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, and in uh, verse 15, Jesus is speaking there and he says in verse 15, 
if you love me, keep my commandments, or it's stated another way, you will keep my commandments. When we think about uh, speaking about that, and we know obedience is part of that, but in verse 16 he said, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but uh, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In the fact that Jesus says if we love him, we will, you know, obey him, obey the commandments he, he has and, and the word that he's spoken there, of course, to the disciples and at that time, but the entire word of God is being obedient. And obeying Jesus, really, his commands, in effect, uh, means to copy the example of Jesus. And boy, that'd be, and it should be our thought at times, how does my life line up? He is our example. Uh, and we should uh, imitate him, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ, and so on and so forth there. In 16, though, he's speaking about as he's going to be going away, and he's saying here, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, uh, that he may abide with you forever. And we know he's speaking of the Holy Spirit here, but in the process of responding uh, to the Son of God, we do discover this, that Jesus has provided this uh, divine agent that will enable us to live uh, the way that God would be pleased with our lives. And there's a word that's used here because notice it said to give you another helper. Uh, this, and it's called other terms, it's called counselors and, and so forth. Uh, different terms are used there, counselor, comforter, advocate, but here's the one that kind of, I think, gives us the best picture of it. Uh, the paracolito was one that was called alongside. And I, I picture that and see it. He's in us, but yet he's alongside of us. He's working in our lives. So Jesus is saying that he will, uh, the Father will give another helper, and he's going to abide. He's going to stay with you and in you. And just to remind us again tonight that in the Old Testament, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit moved on people. And uh, we would see the power of God working in their lives, whatever the task may have been. It may have been in the case of Samson to give physical strength and so on. But we need to know that in the New Testament, he has come in his fullness, the day of Pentecost, he does not move up and on, on and off of us as he did in the Old Testament. He comes in to dwell within us, and he's never going to leave us. So as we look at that, he's in, in verse 17 said he is the, the spirit of truth. The world can't receive it, of course, and they can't see him and know him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, in speaking of the disciples here that Jesus is speaking to, the disciples here, keep this in mind, that they did. Jesus was the paracolito. He was the one that was alongside of them. Jesus is the one also that was and is the only perfectly filled uh, of the Holy Spirit, only human being that's ever been. The Spirit was not in measure to him. So in keeping with that, see that he was coming alongside, but he said, he dwells with you and he will be in you. And uh, 
you know him, for he dwells with you, and then he will be in you. When Jesus left here, he left out of the uh, of being with them. Of course, we know that. He went back to God the Father at the crucifixion and resurrection and so forth. But the one that was coming there would dwell within them, not just alongside, but he would be dwelling within them. And so the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is truly a gift that we receive that God gives us uh, whenever we become a follower of him. And that we should be, as believers, that we should be conscious of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going, to, we're going to talk about things here. We're going to talk about, you know, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit or the tabernacle, whichever term you want to use, meaning that uh, He dwells within us. Now, are we conscious of that, that He's with us all the time? He's in us. He doesn't move out. He's there. And he is the person that's living within us. And for us to be conscious of that, to be, have an ongoing awareness that we do have the person of the Holy Spirit in us. And um, as we walk through this night, I, I do trust, not because uh, the Spirit of God has been, uh, been misinterpreted, uh, I think abused as far as teachings about that. But if you look over in the chapter 16 of John here, it's going to give us a, a little bit more here in that, in that regard about the person of him. In John 16 and verse 8, he said, And when he has come, again referring to the person of the Holy Spirit, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, there's a verb that's used here when this convict, but it's from a Greek word that represents two English words. It represents convict, and it represents convince. So, in this particular here, uh, an individual, in verse 9, it said, of sin, because they do not believe in me. Now, that is the convicting of the Holy Spirit. We talked a bit about that this morning in our class, that... Unless the Holy Spirit brings conviction to an individual that is lost, that they recognize that, uh, they're not going to make a decision. The Holy Spirit must do that, and He does. That's part of His office fulfilling the job, if we can use that term, that He does convict. Because the reason is that the uh, sin is because they just do not believe in Him. Jesus is saying, in me. Now, I know there's a lot of sins that individuals commit. Uh, you know, there would be the sin of lying, which, and, and you can just name anything there. But this word here is it's because, notice that again, of sin. The sin is that they do not believe in Christ. You know, the reason that people will be lost is not because they've done a lot of bad things in their life, but is because they have refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for saving grace to come in their life. So they're uh, seeing an individual. So the Holy Spirit does that. Morris said this. It says, The basic sin is a sin that puts self at the center of things and consequently refuses to believe. Now you're, you're talking to someone about their spiritual condition. That 
when they put themselves at the center, they're just going to refuse to believe. So one thing when he comes, very important we get this basic down, that he convicts of sin, also convinces, the word could be used here in fits, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. It is the Holy Spirit who convinces a man of righteousness and uh, this time the type of righteousness he's speaking about is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was crucified, historically he was crucified as a criminal. And so if you read a, a history book or you read something and the individual that you're reading about and it's talking about the fact that he was crucified as a, as a criminal then the Holy Spirit is the only one that convinced a man that in this same Jesus that was crucified according to man's law and standard as a criminal, that it's in that individual that, he, that the righteousness comes from that we need to become rightly related to God, standing right with Him. So the, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can do that. Well, if it's speaking, also think about it. There's a lot of people who are self-righteous. There's a lot of people trying to obtain righteousness in their own efforts and so forth. But it takes the Holy Spirit to convince an individual that they must have the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, to do that, and, and notice it says here, it's kind of interesting because it said, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Well, this here was the means of this conviction is the fact that Jesus has risen. He has ascended to the Father, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne there. So this is the second thing. He convicts of sin. He convinces of righteousness. And verse 11 says, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, Again, the Holy Spirit works doing that. Convict of sin, yes, before a person is going to become saved. Convinced that their righteousness is not or any other type, but it must be the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And third, the fact that he's convinced of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit who convinces a man that of the reality and the certainty of judgment to come. Unless that happens, a person is just with some of the attitudes that people have, you know, and someone said to me this morning, I think was talking about an individual saying that, uh, you know, uh, God, he just didn't believe God would send anybody to hell. Well, now, folks, listen, judgment is real. But here's why. Because Jesus has already defeated Satan on the cross. He is already the judgment of Satan is already established. You know, he's been judged, but we know the final place he'll be cast into the lake of fire. But keeping that in mind, by making a man certain that in Jesus Christ the powers of evil are already judged and defeated. When the Holy Spirit convinces that it was in Christ who defeated this evil, defeated Satan, he has been judged, then they need to realize, yes, there is a judgment out there. The Holy Spirit convinces them that. And again, you can talk to your blue in the face trying to convince someone on your own that he's lost of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, but it takes the Holy Spirit, and that's his office, that's his job. And so I think prayer fits into this, that we really do need to pray uh, that God, he 
deals with people's hearts and opens the door for us to share the word with them. And it's uh, as though the work of the Holy Spirit, it's through the work of the Holy Spirit that a man does recognize and he realizes he's a sinner and he realizes that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the only Savior. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit at the fall, at, at the and at the following moment of salvation is fourfold. What happens? Well, at salvation, every believer is baptized, sealed, indwelt, and gifted by the Holy Spirit. Uh, these results in the spiritual fruit will be produced in the individual's life, but these are going to happen. And uh, if you haven't gotten Pastor Seth's book on uh, uh, I think it's on eternal life there. Uh, any of you, most of you have that or do you and read it? Well, a lot of these tonight will be, you know, some things in, in studying that and preparing for this. So for that, and, and these are the four things that, that's written there. But let's look at that for a moment because it says, again, notice this, baptized and baptized by the Holy Spirit. We hear that. And again, people are saying, well, when does this happen? And some say, well, you know, you get saved, and then somewhere down the road there's the baptism and the Holy Spirit comes and so forth. But, folks, it's that inward work of God that takes place at salvation. This is the baptism. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13a there. In other words, whenever we come to the point under the conviction that we're a sinner, we know that our rights is not sufficient, we know that if we die in that condition, there's a judgment that's not going to be very pleasant for all eternity, and I don't want to be there and don't want anybody else to be there. But when we come to that place and we receive Christ Jesus at the moment of salvation, the, pap- the baptism of the Holy Spirit, can, it occurs right at that time, and the Spirit enters a believing sinner. He comes in. To live there and to dwell there with us. And all believers have experienced this once for all baptism. And somebody says, well, you know, preacher, I heard somebody say, you just, you know, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's a second work or something like that. Folks, the Bible plainly tells us that without the Spirit of the Lord, you're not His. You don't belong to God. And so how could there be a gap between what we're supposed to be saved and we know that the Spirit of God comes into our lives, but if we're waiting this distance, that well, if we logically looked at that you might have made a profession but if you're waiting down here for the baptism of the holy spirit you got a gap in there that boom you would be lost because you cannot be a child of god without the indwelling of the holy spirit okay so keeping that in mind reading back here in in uh, uh let's see in john chapter 7 i want to look there for a moment of, of a couple verses in John chapter 7 and verse 37. Jesus says here that the, uh, on the last day, this feast that's taken place, the great feast, Jesus stood up and cried out saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit comes in whenever we believe, trusting in Christ Jesus, we experience 
the baptism. But a picture here of is also in that is about the fact of come to Jesus and drink. Well, as water satisfies the thirst and enables fruit to be born, well, spiritually speaking, the Spirit of God comes in and quenches that thirst to satisfy the inner person that we are, and that He is the one that enables us to bear the fruit. Now, what I in looking at this, I want to speak about this for a bit here because it's easier, I think, some people perhaps get this mixed up, baptism of the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, those are two different things. To be baptized is a once occurrence when you are saved. But in Scripture, what this word means sometimes means this, and I think it's a good way of stating it because I, I use this myself in speaking about what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it means to be controlled by. Well, that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's when the Spirit of God controls our lives. And here's the thing about the Spirit of God in, in, the, in regard to feeling. Feeling of the Holy Spirit is a reoccurring thing that happens in our lives. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a reoccurring thing. That's a one time for all, and it's for all eternity that we're baptized, but being filled with the Spirit of God. And when we do so, it means that the, we're seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit. It means that the Spirit takes control of our lives. And when I'm praying for, Lord, fill me with your spirit, I'm not asking God for some special type of a blessing out there, a second or a third or a fourth or a fifth blessing. I'm not asking to be baptized the Holy Spirit. I'm asking for the Lord to be in charge of my life, to be in control of me as to what I'm doing. If I'm witnessing to someone, I want the filling of the Holy Spirit, His power working in my life to enable me to be effective in sharing how a person needs to be saved and what they must do to be saved. So keeping that in mind, we are commanded to be filled, but yet that takes a yielding on our part. It takes a desire on our power. It takes us asking God to fill us with His Spirit. And so, folks, remember the difference between these, and it is a repeated experience, but we do need to be constantly, we do need to be constantly filled with the spiritual power if we are to glorify Christ. Now, remember what I said. Remember, I said a while ago that Jesus Christ was the only person that you know that that I, in my understanding, was perfectly filled. Meaning, he was controlled, completely filled, and was always under the control and power of the Holy Spirit in his life. How many of us can say that we stay filled all the time with the Holy Spirit? Now, remember, I'm not talking about listen. Do this top your head. It's simple. Do this. You're going to do it? Okay, thank you all. I appreciate that. But did you feel a cork up there? You don't get uncorked and the Spirit of God continue to pour more and more, you know, into you. We have all of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we're going to have. But when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're talking about being submissive to Him and letting Him take charge and control of our lives. And folks, we need and must have His enabling power to live the Christian life to please God. We must have His enabling power if we're going to do whatever we do. Whenever I speak, I want God. I want to be surrendered. I pray 
Lord, bathe me the message of your spirit. You fill me with your spirit whenever I'm teaching or whatever. We just need that in our lives. And folks, listen, we must have it also just to simply be an everyday obedient follower of him. In the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, we're going to move now to from baptism to the sealed of the uh, sealed by the Holy Spirit. In the book of 2 Corinthians there, in uh, chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, and I want to look at a couple verses in verse 21 and verse 22. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse, uh, verse 21 says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is... God. He is the one who is established. And this established is a business term that refers to the guarantee of the fulfilling of a contract. So God has established us. And then and the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that God is dependable and will accomplish all that he has promised. He's going to do that for us. Now notice that. That's the guarantee in that sense there. But also... He says here, has anointed us is God. Now, in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed because they were anointed for the service that they were going to be in. In the New Testament, when it speaks about anointed, we are anointed, we're anointed for the service to God and to others. So when God establishes us and then... Uh, anoints us, he anoints us for service. The Holy Spirit does that. And that verse 22, again, it says here, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This word guarantee, God sets a seal, and it's a seal of ownership on us that guarantees our relationship with God is a permanent relationship. I'm glad of that. I'm thankful that God doesn't send the Spirit in and go through these things. And he says, but you know, this has only got a two-year warranty on it. When the warranty runs out, he's no longer going to be with you. No, this is a permanent thing that happens. And when we're this ownership, we belong to him. And the, inner th the thing that we need to understand is, is not only is he permanent, but he's going to be permanent in this life with us. But even beyond our death, it's going to be, it's secure. I guess it would be a, a good word of saying it that way. And when we talk about the uh, associated with the idea of sealing or some things here, and we know this, and, and go back, you've, all, you've heard this, but let me just reemphasize just a bit here. Uh, you know, it talks about a stamp, a seal that the king could put on something or somebody stamped that seal and it said ownership there and, and have the, the seal of it that could be, uh, it's genuine, it's authentic, you know, and so on and so forth. It's secure and those things like that. Well, those are good and that's right. And those are draws from and helps us see this. But basically to say this, the, the idea of ownership, we are bought at a price in 1 Corinthians 6.20. And we need to think about that. We're not going to speak about that now, but think what the price was. The Bible tells us that we no longer belong to ourselves when we trust Christ as our Savior. We're not our own boss. Folks, truly, any uh, pride about us needs to go right out the door because it took His blood to save us, and we're children of His. We belong to Him, and not only ownership, but it's authentic. That's to prove genuine. It is a real thing. 
When you have the Spirit of God, you've experienced salvation, baptized, you're sealed. It's the real thing. And security, and basically you might write down at the bottom that the believer is branded as God's property. I'm glad of that. I'm glad, and I know who I belong to. And uh, I kind of like it that way. I kind of like the fact that I don't have to worry about because I'm, I've been saved by the grace of God. I've been baptized with the Spirit of God and have experienced the different degrees of filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I think each of you, if we'd stop and you could identify that, the filling of the Spirit of God of times in your own life as you surrender to Him. So God puts His Spirit in our heart. It is a deposit. It's guaranteeing what is to come. And, of course, we as believers should understand that God gives the Spirit to do what? To empower us for service. It's not, uh, and we'll look in a minute about the gifts of, of the Spirit in a bit here, but to keep in mind, and I read this too, and I, I know that when we read this, and, and it is exciting, whenever we say, well, that we're sealed and we belong to Him and have a guarantee He's going to do all this and so forth like that. But as I, I did studying on this too, it also carries an idea that the contract, so to speak, is another way of saying the contract has is, is been stamped as guaranteed this contract we have. Well, but when you read a little bit and do a little bit, deeper studying in that, it also, you find the idea in there that those who are in, we'll use this way, who are in contract with God, who has the Spirit of God in them, the sealing and all that, and the ownership belongs to Him, but those who are His children have an obligation to serve Him and to be obedient to Him, and so God, through His Spirit, enables us to do the things that we are to do as a child of God. God did not save us just simply to make us feel good. He doesn't bless us just to make us feel good. But His blessings and those things and saving us is to bring glory to Him and by serving Him to continue to be a part of advancing the kingdom of God. So also to understand, because saying that, but just to use this heading is that indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. In Romans 8 and 9, it said, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And I have to, you know, I have to admit, too, that, uh, that we just sometimes have to make a conscious effort. When we walked in here tonight, guess who was in us coming in here tonight. Guess who's in you sitting where you're sitting. Guess who's going to be in you when you go out those doors. Guess who's going to be in you with whatever you do and wherever you go. As a child of God, having been born by the Spirit of God, the Spirit indwelling you, the Spirit has baptized you, the Spirit will fill you occasionally and so forth like that in your life. He's with you. Now, how many of us sort of had to stop and think, you know, He's with me. He's there. And, of course, when you talk about the Spirit of God being in you, you're talking about Jesus being in you. We're talking about God indwelling us, indwelling us. And time permitting and so forth, you can go back and, and you know, 
trace the glory of God and the Shekinah glory and bring it through the tabernacle, the temple, and so forth, and bring it up and so forth like that. Jesus is that in the person of the Holy Spirit that lives within us as the temple of God now. It's not a building, but it is our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. He's with us, and He's there to enable us. But here is something I think that uh, most of us perhaps struggle with is how do we learn, how do we understand to let the Holy Spirit work in our lives to fulfill what he's put, He has come into our lives to do in us? And there's a word that I think has to take place in our life. Uh, the word meaning this is just become submissive to him, that he's in charge. Let him be in control. So in uh, Romans 8 and verse 16, it said, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we've got it. This, it's, the witness is being born within each of us. In 1 John 1 and verse 13, it says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. The Spirit, again, emphasizing this, in, He dwells within every believer. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, it said, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. Verse 20 said, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So we just need to be reminded that the Spirit of God does well within us. The Holy Spirit enables us to live our lives in a way that pleases God. In 1 Peter 1 and 14, speaks about as obedient children. It says, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And and putting this down here, and I thought, okay, here's a great question. Here's what God says to do in his word. He says to be holy like he's holy. Is that not? It's one of the Psalms. But speaking there, that we're to be holy as He's holy. And here's the big question. I wrote a how, just how with a big question mark. How in the world am I going to be holy like God is holy? How are you going to be holy? We're not unless we realize the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And again, if you go back in the temple and tabernacle and so forth, uh, the, that was a place where God was, so thus it, it, it was a picture of His glory and His holiness being there. So in our lives, the only way that we can be holy, the only way that we can be obedient is because the Holy Spirit is the enabling person in our lives for us to be able to accomplish what God's called us to do. Do you ever hear some messages sometimes or some read the Scripture and read things? So how can I ever do that? I can't do that. I can't live a Christian life. I can't be holy. I can't uh, keep from sinning. Well, uh, we're not perfect, all of us, but I, I tell you that the more we surrender to the Holy Spirit's controlling our lives and so forth, the less that we're going to fall into the sins that we were in before God saved us. So keep that in mind for a bit here. Also, for a bit here, is to the gifted by the Holy Spirit. We do have gifts of the Spirit. 
Pastors talked about that. There are three places, and I'm not going to read all of these verses, but, but Romans 12, 6 and 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, and Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Now, these are listing, and combining all these lists together there, uh, it, it adds up to 19 different gifts and offices that God gives the gifts so, 19, that's pointed out here. When do those gifts come? Well, since God is sovereign and, and uh, believing that we all have a gift and it comes, and we'll, we'll talk about it, but just say this here, the giftedness comes at the time that we uh, are converted, we become a child of God. But I, I'm... I think I'm in a pretty good camp with this. I'm not of the persuasion that if God chose to give a gift, if he has the right to do that. He's not written it down that that's the only place, So, but keeping that in mind. But that we do have, each believer does have at least one gift. And you say, well, you know, preacher, I, I don't think I have a gift. Well, if you're saved, you have a gift of the Spirit, one at least. So you might read over those 19 and see which one of those seem to be. But God made the choice as to which gift you get. You know, we have uh, the body metaphor in the Bible there and talks about all the different parts and so forth. Well, God has given you the gift that he wants you to have, wanted you to have. He has a purpose for having given you that gift. And all of us have at least one. Now, some people seem to have more at times. We believe they do, but uh, that we have. But the question is, you know, a lot of times we want to say, well, how do I know what my gift is and so on? And we may touch on it just a bit here, but reason these gifts are given in the Bible, and read that, they're given for the building up of the church, the body of Christ, and advancing his kingdom. Now, remember when we spoke back there that we were baptized the Holy Spirit and we're saved and, and we're placed into the body, we're placed into the the body of Christ is what it's speaking about. It's speaking about, and I want to use this term and, and give explanation, but the universal church. Now, what's that mean? And I, you know, the universal church is made up of every born-again individual. Every person that has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are baptized into the body of Christ, that the church is the body of Christ. Are you with me on that? Do you understand what I'm saying there? Every saved person. So, you know, denominations, man, you know, they, there's different denominations out there, but we're not talking about that. This here is what we refer to as a local uh, body of baptized believers, individuals in a local setting like this. But remember this, every person, that, that's, Things like this just kind of amaze you. There's some people think they're the, their group's the only one going to go to heaven. If you don't belong to their particular denomination, you aren't going to make it. Here's where the Greek comes in, hogwash. We're going to make it by the blood of Christ. All of us that are born again are in the body of Christ. Now, we have a gift to fit in that body, and that gift is to be used to advance and to, to build up the body of Christ. But when you bring it down to a local uh, congregation like we are, we need to understand that in this church, all of the gifts that God has given will be sufficient to carry on all the ministries that God wants done and missions and so forth in this church. 
everything from being a, a gift of giving, the gift of hospitality, just name. But go back and read those and see and begin to question yourself, well, which one do I feel like is my gift there? And the best place, I think, to do that is just to uh, be involved in the church and then when you, you find a place. I don't, I don't think God puts us in places just to make us unhappy. I think we have a, a desire there. But we'll, we'll speak a little bit more about that if time permits us to hear. The gifts are for unifying, they're for building up the church and emphasize that again. And uh, by serving is the best way to find out your gift. Just get involved in serving and you'll know whether or not it is. If God's given you a gift, he's given to you, again, not to build yourself up. There's a lot of, that happens sometimes. Some people think, well, if I've got this gift, I'm better than somebody else. No, no, not so. All of the gifts are given of God, and they're given for the purpose of building His church. And so whatever it is that your, your gift is to work it through this church, then it will be for the glory of God. So you must exercise your gift, and you must do it by faith. Just by faith, you go do the work and so on. Now, also keeping this in mind, we are empowered to bear fruit by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul contrasted the works of the flesh, and, and uh, go over in Galatians here, and I'll read this a bit to you. In Galatians chapter 5 is where I want to look here. In Galatians chapter 5, and uh, first of all to read, in nine, and maybe not read all of them, but in, in verse 19, uh, Verse 20 talks about the works of the flesh, and all these different things are named there, from fornication, uncleanness, adultery, jealousy, uh, idolatry, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, envy, murder, drunkenness. He just a list of them there. This is the, uh, the works of the flesh. And all of us, before we were saved, that was what we practiced in our lives. Now, not these particular things alike, but we're just, the fact is that we were under the control and that was what we practiced in our life. You say, well, does a Christian ever commit these kinds of sins? And I answer you, yes, they do. But here's the difference. You might fall, you might commit a sin, but if you practice that, and that's your, that's your life, you know, you doing this, the person needs to question himself, am I saved? Now, it doesn't mean that you and I can't commit those sins, but it says we're not going to go there and that become our lifestyle, and that's what we practice and so forth. We want to get away from it because we love God, and, and we should truly love Him when we sit down and think of all He's done. So those things are there. And then he goes on in, in verse 22, and this is one that we're, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit, notice, the fruit is one, but we're going to see it uh, here manifested in nine different areas here, but just it's one fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And again, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, the Holy Spirit indwelling within us, He is the one that enables us to see these in our life. Now, ask, ask yourself, you know, well, is love in my life? Is joy in my life? Is peace in my life? 
What about long-suffering, kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness? Are those things that that I recognize in myself? Do others recognize it? Gentleness and self-control? These are the fruit of the Spirit. And so one of the keys of whether a a person is a genuine believer is, is what is their life producing. When we look at ourselves and say, well, what is it that we look at and we see that's being produced in life that really gives evidence that we are a child of God? Now, a lot of people base the fact that I'm saved because I prayed a sinner's prayer one time, or I got baptized one time, or I joined a church one time, or I did this. But the fact of it is, when we look at our lives, that's going to give the evidence as to whether or not we are children of God. In that sense, it demonstrates that. And Jesus said in Matthew 17, or Matthew 7, 16 and 20 there, but he's talking about false prophets saying they'll come in among you as, as wolves and, uh, you know, and, uh, in sheep's clothing and so forth. And he said, you'll know them by the fruit they bear. You will know them by the fruit that they bear. Now, If I go out here, and and these are just simple little things to think about, but if you went out here where there were five different types of fruit trees out there, what would be the best way to know which one of them was an apple, which one of them was a pear, which one of them was a cherry tree or whatever? Which would be the best way to know that? Whatever they're bearing, right? Now, maybe some of you have seen it, but have you ever seen uh, cherries on an apple tree growing? It's just not its nature, is it? And the thing about fruit bearing is that fruit bearing ought not to be something that you had to work at doing. It ought to be something that the Holy Spirit is in your life, love and joy and peace like that. How many people are trying to build peace into their, into their own mind, into their own heart, and are not very successful at it? Because whenever it is of the Holy Spirit, then we find out that uh, it's going to be there. It's just there. It's just there. You don't have to be trying to conjure it up, you know. That's why, <laughs> oh, well, let's just go on here. In Hebrews 2 and 1 through 4 there, uh, it talks about giving more earnest heed in verse 1 there, chapter 2, uh, to the things that we've heard, lest we drift. And uh, if you read in Pastor Seth's book on, on that, on drifting, but basically what it's talking about here is that uh, we need to give the earnest, more earnest heed to it. Pay attention to what you've heard. Pay attention to the word that's been presented. And uh, if, if you don't, you start drifting away. You start drifting from it. How many of you, if, if you just stop paying attention to it, it's not, notice it's, it's just something you just, you're not giving earnest heed to it. And I, I'm talking myself. And it said, how shall we escape in verse 3 of that book in the second chapter of Hebrews? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, in this particular passage here is, he's not encouraging sinners to be saved. That's not what he's saying here. It's not a great salvation. If you neglect that, you know, how great a salvation. No, he's talking to Christians. And rather that we need to realize the great salvation that we have. You stop and think about it. 
It costs Jesus His blood on the cross and God's grace touches. It's a great salvation. It's God's salvation. But whenever we begin to neglect it, we begin to not really being heeding to the Word of God, we can start to drift away. Now, that's not saying that we're lost, but it is saying that it's disrupting our fellowship with God. And so this great salvation, we need to pay attention to it and uh, so that we don't drift, that we stay close where we ought to be in the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And uh, this is, what is it has, that sin affects our walk with God? The Bible identifies three detrimental results of sin in the life of the believer. And those three are, it's not that they're going to sever us from a relationship to God, but again, it's going to hinder our fellowship. And one is in, in Ephesians 4.30, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's one sin that you and I can commit, to grieve the Holy Spirit. To grieve there is to make, it, to make Him sorrowful. Can your child grieve your heart, grieve your mind? Absolutely they can. And people you love can grieve you. God's children can grieve His heart. The Holy Spirit can be grieved by us when we, you know, committing this. We grieve Him, do things wrong. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit of God. Oh, we can quench Him. And quench, another word that's used there, stifle, but uh, what it is picturing a, a fire being put out and so forth. But in this, Paul pictured the Spirit of God as fire, and the fire of the Spirit must not go out on the altar of our hearts. Now, that's a good question. Are we quenching Him when He's working, just kind of shutting Him down in our lives? And folks, I'm going to tell you, you can do that. You can do it in a church service. I've been places where the Spirit of God has been working, and somebody and absolutely can just do something in that service that just like they threw a damper on it, and just the Spirit of God becomes quenched. Do not despise prophecy in verse 20 there. The church is a body in this particular picture here can quench the Spirit by refusing to hear the Word. Do you know this, that you and I could, could come in here and our pastor could have one of the most dynamic messages, the Word of God coming out, and if we refuse to hear it and we sit down on it, we can just quench it right there and quench that from happening. You say, I don't believe that. Well, let me tell you, it can be. And, it, and so they could do that back then, the prophecies, and I don't have time to go into that because back then the, at this particular time, there were those that the Spirit of God moved on and they prophesied and spoke what God said to, and then the church could say, no, I don't want to listen to that. Well, to bring it and make it applicable to us today when a preacher's preaching or a teacher's teaching the Word of God and somebody says, no, I don't want to believe that. I don't want to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to that stuff. I don't want to do what that says. Well, what's happening is that that's quenching the Spirit. Hebrews 12, 4 through 6, and there in verse 5, sin puts us under the discipline of God. Sin will bring the hand of God and discipline our actions in our lives. Whatever the sin may be, it can cause God to discipline us. How many of you have ever been disciplined by the hand of God? I hope I'm not embarrassing any of you all by asking you to touch your head or raise your hand. I just want to, it helps to realize you are still alive, but anyway... 
And, and the whole thing about it here is the fact all of us have been disciplined with God. Now, I want to tell you something. God knows how to discipline in a way that really is effective, right? Did you have different children? If you had different children, did one type of discipline not work with one that worked better on another one? Well, God knows exactly the kind of discipline that you and I need. Why does he do it? Because he's a mean old God. That's why, preacher. No. All of God's discipline in the life of a child of his is from a heart of love. Because it's not to destroy us, it is to build us up and bring us back in line with where he wants us to be, okay? So rather quickly, the question is what I do, and we all know what to do when we have sin in our lives. <clears throat> if you try to hide it from God, why? He knows all things. So, of course, First John 1, 9 is the best scripture. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But remember this. When we do things and God does discipline us, there's still sometimes some consequences that we have to deal with because of whatever we did wrong. It's not that God, and, and he will restore a fellowship, but we can still experience some consequences from it. So then, and wrap it up like this. The Spirit-empowered life brings peace in our lives. If you want peace, let the Holy Spirit be in charge. And it doesn't matter how bad things are in the world, and they are getting worse, I think, we can still have peace in the midst of a lot of turmoil. And then it also, the, the Spirit empowers us to accomplish the purpose that God has. All of us talk about it, but do you believe that God has a purpose for you in this life? If you believe that, the Holy Spirit will enable you to accomplish that purpose in your life that God has for you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that we can read and thank you for the enabling power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as he works in our lives and help us to learn how to cooperate with him. When we desire to be filled of your spirit, help us to realize that we must be willing to become, become submissive to let him be in charge of our lives. And oh, Father, how many of us have to deal with the flesh rising up and not being submissive to the Holy Spirit? but doing it our way and doing those things that are not pleasing to you. Lord, you have a plan, and what a wonderful plan it is. And help us to not neglect the great salvation that you've given us in our lives. Help us not to drift away from it and let things come between us and our walk with you. Bless us as we go our way, and may we be a people who are a spirit-led group. In Christ's name I pray, amen. God bless you, folks.